Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Millennial God Podcast. My name is Pat Samuels, and joining me today is a man I've looked up to for a really long time. Uh, some of you may know him as the Beardless Bro uh, from Duck Dynasty, or more recently, the host of the Unashamed Podcast on Blaze TV. Uh, but I'd like to extend a warm welcome to Al Robertson. Al, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome, Pat. It's good to be with you, bud. Appreciate it. Hey, let's start. Uh, let's just go through your testimony. How did you become a Christian? How did you learn about Christ? Let's start with that. Well, you know, uh, our family had sort of an interesting beginning because uh, mom found out she was pregnant with me when she was only 16 years old. Yeah. And uh, dad was 18 and had just signed a letter of intent to play college football at Louisiana Tech, which is in Ruston, you know, which is close to where we are now in West Monroe. Yeah. So, you know, she had me uh, maybe two weeks after she had turned 17. And so I had a 17-year-old mom uh, and a 19-year-old dad on a college campus. So as you can imagine, uh, uh, times were, I, I mean, obviously were interesting, uh, if nothing else, because, you know, I, I recently I thought about it, what it would be like for two teenagers to have a baby and yet be in college. And mom had to go back to school you know, my first year that I was a year old yeah. to be able to get her high school degree. Cause you know, she dropped out back in the sixties, you know, you just didn't keep going if you were pregnant. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it made for an interesting life for them, but it also, I think set some bad habits in place for dad. And then he, you know, basically went off the deep end for a few years. So I grew up in a non-Christian home yeah. and, uh, and dad was, uh, pretty much an absent dad. I mean, he wasn't around that much. I, I loved him and respected him, you know, because everybody else seemed to love him. He had this charisma about him uh, that was amazing and it drew people to him. And so as a, as a young boy, you know, I was drawn to that as well, but I always felt like he kind of had me at arm's length, you know, cause they would go and hunt. Of course they were, you know, it was illegal hunting back in those days. And so they would go and I'd say, dad, can I go today? You know, I'm a little five-year-old boy, you know, and yeah. he said, oh no, son, we got to run from the game wardens today, you know? And so it, it was, it was, you know, that's kind of how I grew up. And yeah. the worse he got in terms of drinking and lifestyle, uh, the harder it got on mom. And so in, even as a little boy, I just kind of felt a, you know, a responsibility to help her yep. because dad wasn't there. And so it kind of, I really kind of lost my childhood uh, as a normal child in, in terms of doing sports and having that sort of lifestyle because I, I just had a lot going on. And, you know, mom to this day, she'll say, she, she feels bad about that. Like, you know, I wish you had had that. And I said, well, mom, but you, you got to realize and understand, I didn't at the time think I was missing anything. I was just doing yeah. what I needed to do. Yeah. And, and I loved her. And of course, dad didn't treat her all that well back in those days. And so, the reason I tell you all that is because I think all that fed into uh, my life and, and kind of what I became. Uh, yeah. Nobody in the family went to church hmm. except for me uh, because a, a pastor lived up the street and, you know, they'd invited me to VBS when I was about four. And as soon as we got to Junction City, Arkansas, which is where we were living, mom and dad both were working for the school system at that time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they just, they, they, they took a chance and they asked mom and dad if, if I could go with them. And they said, yes. And so I built this relationship with them. So from four till about nine years old, you know, I attended church every Sunday and Wednesday. I was a part of these people's lives. They were like grandparents, you know, because they were in their seventies. He was kind of in a semi-retirement role there at the church he was preaching at. And so, you know, I got a good basis, even though I was in a non-Christian home, yeah. which of course would come back to serve me well later. Uh, but, you know, 
when I got to be a teenager, mom and dad, you know, they got it straight. Dad came to Christ, you know, mom came to Christ first and, and helped lead him. And so we moved to West Monroe as part of that process. And we were at the church, uh, West Ferry Road, the same church that I, that I had worked for, you know, all of my life. And now I'm an yeah. elder, so is dad. And that church took us in, you know? And so for a little while, everything was just like, great. We moved down the river and I was involved in the youth group. And, you know, it was amazing, Pat, because something happened right in that time. And, and I've seen it happen to so many other people in their young life when right, yeah. hit right around that 13, 14 year old mark. And I just started going dark. I mean, we yeah. were in a perfect situation. The church was great. We were just started duck commander in the business and I was working and helping with that, but I was just drawn, you know, to the dark side. Yeah. And like a lot of kids, I was, I was a double secret agent because I was right there on the second row um, singing the songs and looking really good. And like I had it all going on, you know, from 14 to like 17 years old, yeah. but inside it was rotten, you know, it just got, and it got worse and worse. And then eventually, you know, when you're kind of playing both sides of the fence, you have to make a choice because you get forced out. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened to me. So when I turned 17, I just graduated high school. And by now my lifestyle was out of control and other people were noticing it. And mom and dad just didn't want to believe it. And mom, especially, and I think it was because she had relied on me for so long, Yeah. Um, you know, that she just couldn't imagine that I would just abandon her and abandon the family and abandon my faith. And yet that's exactly what I was doing. So dad kind of put me to the test. He was like, we were sitting in his truck and he was like, how, you know, my girlfriend, the former girlfriend's daddy come down. He had found out we'd been having a sexual relationship and he confronted my parents. I wasn't even there, but it was embarrassing. Now it's, you know, the lifestyle is out there. And yeah. so, uh, he, he gave me a choice. He said, you know, we love you and we want you to be here, but you know, you're 17 years old, you're out of high school. If you're going to live this way, you can't live this way here. Yeah. And of course I resented it at the time because in my mind, I thought, who are you to tell me after the way you live, you know? Mm -hmm. So it was just a lot of anger and resentment, which is why I told you that at the beginning. Cause I think that's was help. That was the doorway that opened the door for Satan because there's yeah. always a way, you know, he, he, he's, he's, he crafty he schemes, you know, he's always working against us. Yeah. So he's always looking for that way in. And it's usually some sort of trauma, usually some sort of thing that happens when we we're a kid, maybe it was our fault, maybe it wasn't. Yeah. And then yeah. that doorway is there. And if we ever give a crack in it, in he comes. He and comes that's in. Exactly what I did. I gave him that open doorway and he came in. So I, I left, I pridefully left. And I was, I was exactly like the kid in Luke 15, uh, you know, that wanted to go away yep. from his family. And that's what I did. And so I moved to New Orleans and got into way more trouble there. I was working at a hospital and uh, my aunt was the director of nursing. So she got me the job, but you know, I'm, I'm just living a terrible life and, and just immersed in it. And, yeah. uh, and then one, I started dating this nurse and she was 26 years old. I was 17 and then mm -hmm. turned 18, you know, when I'm seeing her, of course, I'm lying telling everybody I'm 21. So I can go to bars and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. She's lying because she said that she had been married, but she and her husband had been separated for like a year. Mm -hmm. well, it turns out they've been separated about three or four weeks. Oh, now, you know, my wife and I do a lot of marriage ministry and I realized that's just a time apart to try to figure things out. So, yeah. so it was a lot of lying going on. Yeah. And, uh, and one day I just felt weird about it. You know, she was so much older than me. Um, and so I was going to break it off with, it was a Sunday morning. I went over to her apartment and, uh, was going to tell her that, but she convinced me not to said she was in love with me and all this stuff. Yep. And her husband uh, attacked me 
And of course I didn't know who he was. Wow. And so I just thought it was just, I'm on the street. He had flattened two of my tires and I'm out trying to fix my flat. Yeah. He comes up behind me and he's like, so he starts cursing me, you know? And I was like, what is this guy's problem? Uh-huh. You know? And then he, he picked up a tire tool and started working me over with it. So we're wrestling around. I'm trying to get away from it. You know, I'm not much, I'm, I consider myself in that uh, phase of my life, more of a lover than a fighter. Yeah. But I was just trying to get away from this guy. Yeah. And he, I could tell he, he had intent to harm me in a, in a great way. He, he would have killed me if I hadn't got away from him, but I got away from him yep. and he went back to my car, beat my car to smithereens, found a, my pistol that I had in the glove, the glove box and started back down the road. I was at a convenience store and we had called the cops. Yeah. I'm just looking out the window, expecting him to come around the corner at any minute. And he didn't, but a cop car pulls up. And so I go out and, and I get in his car and we, we go back around where all the action was. Mm-hmm. And the cop asked me, he said, where's the gun? And I was like, there was no gun. This guy's a tire. You know, I, I'm just like, you know, yeah. in shock. Yeah. Pull back around there. There's like eight cop cars and lights are flashing. The guy's in the back of one of the cars. <laughs> My girlfriend was out there now and as well as a big group of people because it was like an apartment complex. Yeah. And we got a crime scene you know i mean i'm just i'm looking at all that i'm 18 years old and so i sit down i'm bleeding uh, my clothes are torn and they start asking me questions and and nobody was giving me any love and they shouldn't have i mean it it was obvious what was happening you got 18 year old punk kid sleeping with another man's wife and and this guy came in to do something about it so nothing was going to happen the guy turned out to be a drug informant for them anyway and so they all left one by one and I was just left there alone except for one police officer who stayed behind and he sat down next to me and he started you know just kind of talking to me and asking me what what I did why why was I in New Orleans it didn't look like I fit here and it was just he was a he was a Christian man who saw an opportunity because there was a young person here who was whose life had just been turned upside down Mm -hmm. and I I don't know his name I, I wish I did uh, now, but I'm going to find him in heaven. Uh, yeah. that's the first person I'm looking for this guy, when I, when I speak to law enforcement now, which I love the opportunity to do that in first responders, I love telling them, look, you guys see people at the worst times in their lives. And sometimes yeah. that means they're ready to hear something. Sometimes they're not, yeah. but if you're consistent with those opportunities, you can help people because this guy turned me around. Oh, and yeah. so I started crying and just opened up to him, you know, and he, he was like, you, know, you need to go home. You need, you need to go back to North Louisiana. You need to get back with your family. You need to start going to church again. And he just, you know, he, he gave me a pathway to yeah. getting out of there. And so I went and put my notice in uh, and then looked over my shoulders for two weeks, expecting this guy to come out of every corner yep. to finish the job. I broke it off with the girl and, you know, I just, I went home. And so just like in Luke 15, I kind of had a speech worked out and I was going to tell my folks, you know, you know, all the things I've done wrong. And here's, I'll live by your rules, whatever you need. I just want a chance to start yeah. over. So yeah. just like that kid did, that's, that's what I did. Yeah, just like the so I drive up to North Louisiana, I get out of my car, mom and dad come and meet me just like the father did in Luke 15. And, you know, I didn't even get my speech out. They just, they hugged me. We cried. They said, welcome home. And dad said, now we got duck calls to bill. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. You know, and uh, I, I like to tell, say it this way: we that night we killed a fattened catfish uh, because a lost son. Yeah. Home. And so that's what started me. It was it was at that point that then I was I knew I was like I was in the rest of my life serving Jesus 
And, you know, I, I don't want to live that way anymore. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, and that's what happened. And I was 18 years old and I've been on fire ever since I'm 56 now. So, uh, you know, if the Lord gives me a few more years, I'm going to keep reaching as many as I can. Yeah. So from there, how did you, uh, get into ministry? I guess, what was the transition like into ministry from, you know, being the prodigal son here? You know, it was, uh, I, for me, it, it kind of first started when, uh, we, we started, you know, I went obviously back to White's Bay Road, which mm -hmm. was my, my church before I went off the reservation for a while. Yeah. And we got back there. And so I started like, uh, uh, the guy, Mike Kellett that I preach with now is a good friend. We've done ministry together for years. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people, he saw, he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And so he mm -hmm. started, he was our youth minister. And of course, by now I'm married and you know, at least I got married and I got two little kids. Yeah. And, but he started inviting me to come out to camp and speak to teenagers because, you know, again, I'm 20 at this time, 22 or so years old. So I'm not that far removed from coming out of the life. Yeah. And so he just started just, you know, had me give my testimony. Yeah. He'd go speak at a youth rally and he'd take me with him. And he let me speak a little bit to the thing. And I was real nervous about it because, you know, I didn't, but I, but I wasn't nervous about talking about what God had done in my life yeah. that I was excited about, but I didn't know much of anything else. And so I think those were the seeds that were planted. I think Mike saw that opportunity in me, even though my brothers, you know, were in his youth group. And so, yeah. you know, he saw me as an opportunity and, um, but I really was kind of reluctant to go in full, full board. We had a seminary associated with Whitesway Road from like 1970 to 1992. Mm -hmm. So a lot of families were there. They come in from all over the country, a lot of ex-military because yep. especially right after the Vietnam, uh, you could go to a preaching school like that or seminary on the GI Bill. And so, mm -hmm. you know, you had to go to school full time. So these guys couldn't work. Yeah. So I met a lot of really neat people. Uh, I met a lot of really strange people, you know, that are drawn sometimes into ministry. And I just wasn't sure that that was the life I wanted to, to, to lead. And Lisa was certainly not sure about it because she yeah. didn't think she was, you know, pastor wife material. And so I was very reluctant, but the duck call business in the early eighties was really in, in bad shape. Mm -hmm. the, the duck population was down. So it was really hard and I just really couldn't support myself. I was going to have to do something different. I was going to college. I was married. And these guys approached me, they came out and Jace had been out of high school about a year and he wasn't going to college because he didn't like school. Yeah. But they, they basically said, you know, we think you guys have something that would, that we want to help flourish and, and put the word of God into it. And, and, you know, I didn't really ever consider myself going to be a preacher, yeah. but I just thought, you know, I mean, and some other people said, Hey, we'll help support you through the process. Cause you can't really work cause you're going to school, you know, five days a week. Yeah. Although I did find, I started preaching and finding ways to make a little extra money because I had a family, but I said, you know what? I talked to Jace about it and I said, why don't we just give it a shot? I mean, we'll just get to study the Bible for two years. I mean, that won't be a bad deal. Yeah. And I was going to keep going to college after that and figured we would eventually run Duck commander, but that's why, how we went in. I was kind of a reluctant, I was kind of pulled into it. You know, wasn't too sure about it. Once I got in, I loved the study, but I was super nervous about speaking. Jace seemed to be a natural. I mean, I'm 23, he's 19 yeah. and you know, he, he was great. Like we had to speak at chapel with other students, you know, but I just, I got super nervous about it and I just didn't think it was for me. And it's kind of ironic, Jason, and I laugh about it now that I wound up with a whole career yeah. in ministry and, and when we all are, but he never went down that road. He worked for him at first, but yeah. we interned together after we graduated for two years. 
And then he worked part-time for a little while. Well, he, the duck call business picked back up. And so he went back to duck commander, but I just stayed on in my role. Now you never really leave the family business because mm-hmm. I would like organize packing parties where we'd get church members to come out and pack duck calls so we could ship an order. And, you know, dad would feed them a big meal and that's about it. You know, there wasn't any, so that's how we built the early part of the business. I was full-time pastor, but still stayed engaged. Yeah. You mentioned uh, before you got into full-time ministry, kind of, you know, speaking to youth and that kind of thing. And a lot of times you would share your testimony as a way to share the gospel with people. Um, How do you go about sharing the gospel? I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with is they don't necessarily know how to share the gospel. Um, How, you know, what's kind of your technique, what's sort of your method for starting that conversation with somebody? Well, you know, I, I think because, you know, people know us. It's easier, obviously, for me now because people will come and seek us out because yeah. they know. I mean, that's what happens over the course of years. Yeah. But if I look back in the early days to what you're describing, I think it starts with your story. I mean, everybody has a story, and it doesn't have to be like mine, where you almost get killed before you realize what's going on. It maybe it's being awareness uh, that you had. The reason I spoke to youth groups was I wanted people to not go down that road and made the same mistake I made. I, I always say your experiences are not the best teacher. Someone else's experiences are the best teacher. So you, you want to learn from that. But I, I think you have to just talk about, be open with people about the victories of God. And that opens the doorway to then share with them what someone shared with me. And, and in my case, it was my dad. When I got back, we sat down because he knew, he was like, we got to fill you with some good, good, because you've been out running around the world. Even when you were here, I was listening, but I wasn't hearing. You know, the Bible talks about you're listening, but you're never hearing. And that's, that was me. I was sitting there listening to sermons. I was involved in youth group activities, but my heart was closed off. Now that it was open, dad's like, we got to put some good stuff in there. Mm-hmm. And so he just shared with me what Jesus did for me, you know, on the cross, you know, his resurrection. Going, so he just, he instilled that in me. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is, this is it. So for the first time, probably in my life, uh, especially in my adult life now, um, I was ready. And, yeah. and so I've taken that and now that's what I share with other people. But I, I love talking about the family and talking about myself and exactly what Christ did in me to anyone that's in a hurting situation. Because yeah. most of the people that I see are people that are having a tough time in life you know, going through a divorce or, you know, somebody's had an affair. And so Lisa and I have been so open with all of our life. I I never know where it's coming to, but it always goes back to the reset. Well, what is, do you have the Holy Spirit? Uh, Have you, have you obeyed Christ? Have you accepted him? You have to start at the baseline for everybody. And sometimes people have, and they just lose their way. And sometimes people never did just like me. I mean, I was a good kid, but I wasn't a good adult because I followed the evil one. So Christ had to get there for me to be able to, to make that change. And so that's typically what I do. I just, you know, I'll, I'll meet with anybody. I'm not a counselor, yeah. but Lisa and I both will meet with anybody and, and, and we'll triage. We'll say, okay, what's going on in your life? And this usually is something bad. Mm-hmm. And then we got to go back to the reset, but I can share Jesus with you. And then I can guide you to somebody that can help you come out of this process that you're in, but you have to start there. If you're trying to do it without Christ, it's not going to work. I mean, yeah. eventually it'll fail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of pivoting here a little bit, um, sort of, you know, with your experience as a pastor, I know uh, in our work, we've seen, we, we've been to churches ranging from home churches to mega churches. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, a, a wide spectrum of churches as well in America. What are sort of your thoughts 
um, on where the church is in America, because, you know, whenever we look in places like Acts 2 in the Bible, uh, the church back then, and what we see immediately after Christ leaves, uh, the church was different than what we see in sort of modern America. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on sort of where the church is? Um, and maybe, you know, should we change? Should we not change? Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts? You know, I think it's, we are at a really interesting place. Uh, I think as just speaking for the American church, yeah. uh, over is a generalization Yeah, because, you know, we're splintered off now into so many oh, yeah. different groups. And so what's happened is, and you're right, my view of it has changed a lot since I was a young man involved with just trying to build up one church. Mm-hmm. And the idea was we'll just build it up here, but other people are doing the same thing. And I, and I always had a unity mindset that we yeah. were all on the same page, even though we do it differently. But I, I what I missed, what I didn't realize was that the American church had become so inward focused on itself, yeah. uh, whatever branch you're in. And, and there were some, not church was that way, but most had become that. And it was yeah. very, ritualized and very institutionalized. And so what happened was we lost our impact on culture. And so the evil one came in and sold all these. Now you're seeing the fruit of all what's happened for the last 50 or 60 years. And it's not good. And and the church has had been basically silenced as a whole. And it's really not making that much impact. It's still impacting people's lives where they are. I'm not saying it's all bad. But I, I just look at it now in a broader sense. That was what I like what you, you're doing and other folks like you yeah. is the idea that we have to get this out of just one place, one structure yep. where you basically go and, you know, get a little bit of a two hour, whatever, you know, uplift or, you know, instruction. And then that's it for a yeah. lot of people that just was it. And I think it was a whole generation of people. That was it. I yeah. remember when I first started preaching, I should have noticed this, but I didn't, I was, I was still in school or as an intern and I was preaching at this little bitty church and they were just, you know, helping me out because I needed, you know, $25 a week. I think is what they paid me. Yeah. And I loved them and they loved on me. It's mostly older ladies, but I noticed something. They all left their Bibles on their pew where their spots were. Yeah. And at the time, I didn't think anything about it. I thought, well, that's pretty neat. But later I thought back, that was that was really a microcosm of what happened. In this yeah. place is where we connect with God. But out there, we don't. And and therefore, in that little that little church, guess what? Not there now. Yeah. You know, it's been, it's been 35 years. It's gone. It's been gone for years. And that's what will happen. And so the, 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 you mentioned it. In the first century, the idea was out. Yeah. And look, the church itself, because I'm preaching actually right now, the church itself, you know, they wanted to stay together too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Jesus told them, he gave them clear instructions. He said, it's going to start in Jerusalem, then it's going to go out in Judea, Samaria, and everywhere. Yeah. But when it, you're watching Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, Acts 5, all the way up to Acts 8, you're seeing them loving life. And it was great because they're on fire and the Holy Spirit's working and people are coming to Christ every day and they're getting some persecution. And then all of a sudden it got bad. Yeah. And the, and the church in Acts 8 said it scattered. Spread. Yep. It spread after they killed Stephen. So I, it, I think we're in an interesting period now because politically in, in, our, in our culture, we're now seeing the rise of the religion of secularism and yep. And, and everything else. And look, it's, it's turned into all these crazy ideologies, Marxism, all these things are popping up out of it. But really, this whole idea is a religion in and of itself. Yeah. And so I think for the first time, the American Christian, the true believer, 
uh, is about to have to look at everything totally different. And, yeah. and it's probably going to be what, what we're doing here today, what we do on Unashamed. Uh, our church, you know, because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. which was another thing I think that's kind of set the stage for us going more underground instead yeah. of just having the big building and all that. Our live stream audience now, I mean, thousands of people are being discipled around the yeah. country through our church. Yeah. So it's more than, and, and not that many are meeting back. So, you know, I may be speaking to three, hundred people in or 500 people in, in my two audiences on Sunday morning. Yeah. I'm speaking to thousands yep. and that are, are now catching fire from the Lord. And it's not through a traditional way. So I do think it's going to be different. I think the, the pandemic has opened up a door for that. Yeah. I do think we're probably going to have more persecution uh, as a result of this, just because of what's happening and who our elected leaders are. So I think it's going to be both exciting and possibly terrifying at the same yeah. time, which is exactly what you read in early acts. Yep. Yeah. We'll get to uh, censorship here in a minute, but um, I do think you had a good point. And one of my early critiques of sort of churches during the early stages of COVID was that I know a lot of churches were complaining that governments were telling them, Hey, you can't go, you have to shut your, your church down. You can't show up and everybody can't come into the building. Um, and while, you know, I personally, don't agree with that by any means that that government should be able to shut churches down. One of my critiques was, well, why is your church limited to the building itself? Why are you, why are you so limited that people are only coming to your church? I think that um, really something that the American church struggles with. And just like you said, we're we're seeing the ramifications of that now in society is that we haven't been equipping people in church to go out. We've been essentially just letting people come in. Um, and, And because of that, I think we, uh, we as a nation have replaced God with government. And so rather than looking to our local churches to solve our problems, if somebody has a need in our local area, rather than looking to our local church and saying, how can we help these people? We look to local government or federal government and we say, okay, well, I, I need help. The government must be the one to solve that problem. And, and I really think that's because we've sort of fallen short as churches and equipping people to go out and provide that need for people. Uh, I think you're right. And in fact, you know, if you remember this, uh, you, you may be, you're young, you may not remember it well, but when Katrina hit New Orleans, yeah. I remember watching footage uh, on the news of people literally standing in water yeah. and a camera crew being there and them saying, you got to get down here. Somebody's got to get down here and get us out of here. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, it, it shocked me because I thought just walk get to higher ground. I mean, they were literally standing in water saying, what do we do? And I thought just what you said, if the dependence is that strong that we can't walk out of water and find some higher ground, I get that people needed help, but that means too dependent. You're exactly right. And I I think that's what we've seen in our culture. And that's part of the problem, you know, and even like recently we've had a, you know, we've really tried to encourage our audience. We have a large audience and look, there's a ton of Trump supporter. I mean, we supported Trump, but we're like, look, it's not about one guy. Yeah. And these people are like, I'm depressed, you know, because President Trump lost and the yeah. election was stolen, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, look, it's Jesus is still one. It's, it's America yeah. first. It's Jesus yeah. first. And yep. then we'll get America worked in where she yeah. needs to be. So I think that's part of what you see in people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you say that. I actually don't. I, I choose not to vote for the presidency. I'll, I'll vote for other things, but I don't uh, vote for the presidency because I do think that uh, we sort of look to the presidency is this like Messiah figure in America right now. Uh, but you know, Joe Biden and Donald Trump aren't going to save you from hell. You know, only Jesus Christ can do that. Um, you, you hit a little bit on censorship, uh, in America. C- can you talk a little bit about what you think the future of the church looks like maybe in 10, 20 years? Because 
uh, I look around and I see people my age, my peers, millennials, uh, and they are leaving the church in droves. Uh, increasingly, people, you know, it used to be that maybe people uh, called themselves religious or went to church once in a while, uh, but now we're seeing my generation just completely abandon all religion entirely. Uh, not only that, but, um, you know, we're seeing right now, especially an era of uh, censorship and wokeness in which, um, you know, tech companies or big business or somebody, somebody else is able to sort of decide what is and what is not free speech. What do you think that looks like for the, for the church in the future? Well, I think it, there's no doubt that it gets worse, yeah. uh, certainly before it gets better. I, I think the, the positive silver lining to the way you described it, and I think you're exactly right about your generation, is that we know the power of the gospel yeah. has not changed. And so it's still the power to save. And so these folks are going to at some point search again. Yeah. They're just not going to do it the old way. You're right. It's not going to be invite them to church and, or invite them to some outreach event. I mean, some mm -hmm. people still be reached by, by, like that, but it won't be in mass. It's, yeah. it's going to be much more communal, much more direct. I think people will have to experience some of this other stuff that's out there before they realize that there's nothing to that, you know, yeah. that, that there's no future in these, these movements that come up. Yeah. But so I think the church, I think in the next generation, your generation and going beyond and, and mm -hmm. my grandchildren, especially will have to be ready to adapt, to figure out the best way to get the gospel out there. Yeah. And I do think that this going to be, it's going to be stepped on uh, right now. Not, not as bad, but it's more of the things you teach. And, the, and when we mm -hmm. start getting into the Bible, you know, it's not going to be a very big leap before a lot of what you and I know that are in scripture and what we teach and what we share with other people will yeah. be considered hate speech or yeah. whatever, you know, because okay. they're just, it's not going to, they're not going to be able to, to allow that to happen. So it's going to be underground. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be, I, I was reading just this week, uh, somebody was talking about, you know, cause you see all this stuff on social media, but then I, I, I read that, you know, because they realize now this is how people are getting most of their information, especially your generation. Yeah. I mean, I was shocked because I, I never really listened to podcasts because yeah. my generation is more talk radio yep. era. But when we started doing the podcast, I could not believe up. how many young people, young men, especially yep. were, were tuning in or oh, tuning yeah. in, but, you know, finding it yeah. and, and watching it and listening to it. And so it, it's been amazing. So it told me that this is where we want to go. So I, I, yeah. I still preach at our church. I love our church. I love, you know, that part of my life, but this is where I want my creative going because this is impacting a whole new generation of people. Yeah. I've seen some pretty interesting things uh, across social media, you know, I mean, Facebook, Twitter, those have been around for a while, but uh, sites like Twitch, for example, TikTok, things like that. I think there's a really good uh, opportunity there for yeah. uh, especially younger pastors or youth pastors to reach uh, the yeah. next generation, even people younger than me on platforms like that, for sure. Um, one thing I want to get your opinion on too is um, as government tries to legislate morality, right? Whenever we look at, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, I'm a registered independent, but uh, looking at President Biden, he just issued something like 30 some uh, executive orders. Uh, and, and we see continually, especially the left start to push trying to legislate their understanding of morality. How do you think that followers of Christ can push back culturally in their own communities when the government tries to legislate morality from top down. Yeah. You know, that that's where the rub will eventually be. Um, you know, and I, I get a lot of people now they are like, after this thing happened at the Capitol, they're like, look, our country was found in a revolution. You know, that's mm -hmm. not a bad thing. Maybe that's what we need to be thinking about. I said, well, look, the founders 
created what we have here. And the idea was that that because of that revolution to get out from under King George and, and the Brits, yeah. that we would set up a system that we would be able to do this, you know, have a constitutional republic and then be able to have elections and, and yeah. build a system. Yeah. It's worked well, but it's beginning to not work well, you know, for, for these last few decades. So it's going to be bad. You know, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's going to it's going to be up. It's going to be down. But if you're living only by the political wave, yeah. if that's all you think that matters, then you're always going to be either super high on the mountaintop or super low in the depression about this. So I think it has to be an even keel. I think we have to, obviously we have to hold on to the beliefs that we have. Yeah. And probably some of us at some point, and maybe my generation are going to probably have to go to jail and, you know, or be fined or have churches shut down or whatever has to happen for people then to have a revival yeah. and renewal. Yeah. And so uh, it, it's going to be bad. I mean, if you study the Bible and you go back in, in the Old Testament, and see all the cycles, because you're talking about over thousands of years of what yep. would happen generationally. I mean, there were times where you had a whole, you know, two, 300 year stretch where nobody knew who God was, yep. but he always had a remnant yep. that was in there all the way through. And so that's the same thing you're going to see now. And, and, and I, my feeling is it's going to be worse before it ever gets better. And, and it may be the end of this whole experiment that we've yeah. had as, as Americans. I don't know. I mean, I, I love my country. I love what the founders did. But I definitely see a mindset coming here. And I think the evil one has brought it up of divisiveness and division. And look, it's that way both ways. I, I think yeah. your approach is the right approach. I mean, I, I registered as a Republican when I was 18 yep. because I love Ronald Reagan and yeah. I just kind of became that guy. Yep. But if I had it to do over again, I would have did I would have done just what you did. Because yeah. I think as a Christian, you can't tie in with a party because yeah. the party won't eventually there'll be things that happen in the party platform that won't change, agree change. with who you are as a believer. Yep. And so I, I, I think you're, you're doing it the right way. I think you have to just say, we're, we're not going to be in the mire of party politics. We're going to be here yeah. showing people the greater way in the kingdom of God, you know, being citizens of heaven. Yep. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, I think uh, government can try to legislate morality all at once, but uh, there's only one supreme authority for what is right and wrong. Uh, and that's God, you know. All right, last question for you, Al. Uh, who is God in modern America today? Who is God in modern America today? Do you mean for just who God really is, or you're yeah. saying that who, who is he? Has, has he changed? Is he the same? Who who is he? Yeah, well, I tell you what, the, the Hebrews thirteen eight, one of my favorite verses. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The the God who made us has not changed in His love for us, in in the evolution of industrialization and now technologies and people are talking about flying spaceships and you know what everything is bigger and and to supposedly better but none of it is bigger than god yep. i mean he still made us and he has the whole plan he knows i mean he he knows when he started it he knows when it's going to end yeah. and when he's going to come back and so i would say god is the same god of the hebrews and work through their culture and their systems. The same God who sent Jesus to the earth in the first century and went through that process is the same one that's still in control today. And it hasn't changed. The sin of people's lives from the garden to right now to this very day have not changed. People yeah. still make the same mistakes. They still go down the same roads. Now, there have been some inventive ways to do evil, and, yeah. and we see that. But, you know, it's still the same old stuff. None of that's changed. And the only thing that offers salvation is the God who says that here's a pathway to me. So I love the question because 
he's not going to change. And so I don't care how advanced society gets. I don't care how many other false things and idols rise up. God is God and yep. will be until he sends his son back to get us. Yep. He stays the same. Al, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, I know that my family and I have both uh, gained a lot from your family's ministry. My dad wanted me to make sure that he, I tell you that he's a huge fan of Unashamed Podcast. Um, if people want to hear more from you, where can they find you? You know, anywhere you get podcasts, uh, we're out there. YouTube is probably our biggest uh, subscri subscription place, you know, where most of the people hang out. Yeah. You can always find our stuff on Blaze as well. And I just want to tell you, thank you for your service, uh, what you're doing. But I, I love this uh, and what you're doing even more. And, and you're showing exactly what we do. I mean, you, you, you signed on to defend our country um, you know, against enemies, both foreign and domestic, that's what you do in your day job. But this is the kingdom work, which is to me much more important. Oh so, yeah. Definitely. Thank you. Anyway. Yep. Thank oh, thanks. Family. Appreciate it. God well, bless. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the millennial God podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple podcasts, make sure to leave us a review. Uh, if you ever want to reach out, you can find us anywhere on social media. And you can also send us an email at millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com. That's millennialgodpodcast at protonmail.com.